When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who don't remember the plot of Scooby-Doo at all, but could draw the Daphne looks from memory. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2002's Scooby-Doo. I'll have whatever he's having. From Warner Brothers Pictures. Mystery Inc. reunites. Scooby and his crew are back on the case. Run! I'm trying, buddy. And now, on an island of mystery. Welcome to Spooky Island. They have... Monster! No clue. Okay, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast this week. Um... Audrey, how's your week going? (laughs) Um, My week is going great because the company that I work for is just not giving me things to do. And so (laughs) I can use my time. Yeah, I can just do the stuff that I need to do. Like I did laundry today. You know, there's no better feeling than having an empty hamper. That is absolutely true. I definitely agree. People don't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) They're not ready to talk about it. Someday we'll get there as a society. I uh, watched the first half of the first episode of the new season of Euphoria while on the elliptical today and texted Audrey halfway through expressing concerns. Um, (laughs) But I'm trying my best, you know? I think... The, the pandemic has softened me to the point where if a show doesn't just make me feel good, I like can't handle it. So that's on me, but it's my current truth. So, <laughs> okay. So we have our hot take of the week as usual sound effect here. Um, and we have a question asked by multiple parties. We have this question from Alyssa Jane Keown. Sorry if I said your last name wrong. And me against the podcast. They both asked Disney Channel versus Nickelodeon. I know my answer. What's yours? You would say Nickelodeon. Yes. For sure. Yes. Um, I'm kind of tempted to say Nickelodeon because, I mean, the energy of the shows that we're thinking of, like Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, um, As Told by Ginger, right? Yes, I loved that show. Like... They 
versus, you know, Hannah Montana, That's So Raven, Phil of the Future, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. Well, I liked those, though. I like them too, but I think Nickelodeon had this like cool factor that Mm -hmm. Disney Channel couldn't, it couldn't attain. Like never was a decom. Like if you, if when we were at that age, it wasn't cool to love the shows. Like I feel like it, it wasn't cool. Everybody watched them. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess fifth grade, it would be, it might be okay or cool. But like, once you get into the like six, seven, eighth range, it's yes. not. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is actually kind of what I was going to say, which is that, well, first of all, we had a weird experience with Disney Channel because we didn't discover the existence of Disney Channel probably until like 2005 or so. So I already felt a little old for it by the time that we got it. I was also a very precocious child, as I'm sure you are very unsurprised to hear. So by the time we got there, I wasn't really that into anything they had because it was also like, around when like the Hannah Montana era was beginning, which as I have stated on this podcast before, I was not a Hannah Montana fan or like Wizards of Waverly Place or any of those. So I got to say Nickelodeon because like there was nothing like, and I know she has fallen from grace, but there was nothing like a good new Zoe 101 episode. Like, yeah, we used to literally go to the basement to watch the new Zoe one, Zoe yeah. 101 episode. Like, yes, we planned for it. Like it was an event. Yes. Um, and I remember our bedtime was like 830 and it ended yeah. like right at our bedtime. And it was just, yeah. it was perfect. I think that the only thing that Disney has on Nickelodeon is the uh, the vast array of DCOMs. Yes. Um, that are extremely powerful. Like even, yes. you know, High School Musical, that was 2006. So like into the Hannah Montana era, they still had great yeah. DCOMs. Yes. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I think the Nickelodeon is the controversy controversial answer and so I'm also going to say that <laughs> yes we're Nickelodeon girls and Nedzy Classified was awesome and I'm pretty sure still holds up that show unfabulous. was fabulous unfabulous slayed my life I loved that show yeah <laughs> there's our answer sorry to those who are bothered but that is just our truth Anyway, we have a really important movie, I suppose, to talk about today. Um, So, you know, this movie is full of innuendo, um, you know, the Scooby snacks, the stoner adjacent interests and jokes. And I would just like to say that I perhaps may have partook in a celebratory toke or a few just to get into the vibe of this movie. And I feel like it... um, enhanced my experience by a very large margin. So some of my notes might be a little bit abstract, but I'm ready for it personally. I can back them up. Okay, good. Um, I was <laughs> dead sober, um, kind of multitasking. So, cause I randomly, I just watched it like maybe oh, two months okay. ago. 
So, okay. Yeah. Speaking of sober, I recently re-listened to like the first half of our very first episode of Sleepover on a drive recently. And I remembered about how we used to drink wine and sit in the hallway of my apartment. And like the intro used to be different. Like we would word things differently. And I was like, wow, we've come such a long way. It's so weird <laughs> to think about. But if you haven't heard the Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen episode, I would recommend. Yeah. Anyway, please, please take us to church. <laughs> I, I just on that on that topic, my friend Abby from high school texted me the other day and mm-hmm. she said that she was listening to one of the really early episodes like from season one and she, that I said it might have been the Princess Diaries one that I yeah. said that I hated Roger Ebert. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I because it Things was before. Changed. Yeah, it was before I started using his reviews like religiously and like also just like learn who he was. Like I was just saying shit at that point. Also, you got to give credit where credit is due because Yara was really the one who showed us the light with Roger Ebert, at least to me. So thanks, Yara. But anyway, let's get into the facts on 2002's Scooby-Doo. So it was released on June 8th. 2002 in theaters and a lot of you probably are aware of the rating lore around this movie um so Mm. it was rated pg when it came out but the original intention was for it to be rated pg-13 and a lot of people thought that there was an unreleased rated r cut that got um kind of cut down and down and down and down until it was just pg so um at some point last year there was somebody who tweeted the writer of this screenplay james gunn and was like everybody says release the snyder cut but i say release the gun cut or something like <laughs> yeah. to that effect and so the writer james gunn responded like quote tweeted this person and I'm going to read what he said. So he said, The movie was originally meant to be PG-13 and was cut down to PG after, like, three parents were outraged at a test screening in Sacramento. The studio decided to go a more family-friendly route. Language and jokes and sexual situations were removed, including a kiss between Daphne and Velma. Cleavage was CGI'd over, but thankfully, the farting remained. I thought at the time the rating change was a mistake. I felt like a lot of teens came out for the first film and didn't get what they wanted and didn't come back for the sequel. But today, I don't know. So many young kids loved those movies, which is pretty cool. Also, for the record, I doubt any of those old cuts still exist. I gotta say, you can tell that there was a different cut of this when you're watching it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I've, that's why the fans are so adamant about it and have been vocal yeah. for over the years. And now we're adults. So it's kind of like, What is the deal with that movie? Yeah, definitely. It has... Josh and I were talking about it because we watched it together. And, like, the top three ways we described it were, like, spooky, followed by food, followed by horny. Like, those are the three main elements to this movie. And we were, like, wondering if there's more to it than just that. So I guess there was. Um, But I'm sure we will get into that more as we keep going here. Okay, so Scooby-Doo was directed by Raja Gosnell. 
Um, and he directed Never Been Kissed, Big Mama's House, and Scooby-Doo 1 and 2, as well as the Smurf movies, Home Alone 3, and Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> but he is also an editor, and he edited Home Alone 2 and Pretty Woman, which I thought was interesting. Is that a thing that happens very often? Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it does happen. Not... It's not the most common, but it does happen mm-hmm. for sure. That's interesting. Um, because being an editor is like really the closest you can get to being a director as far as creative direction if they allow, if your your partnership with the director is truly like you trust each other and it's not just like micromanaging. The movie was produced by 11 people. <laughs> Um, Whoa. It was executive produced by Robert Engelman, Andrew Mason, Kelly Smith-Waite, and Hannah Barbera, who are the people that um, created the original, the original stories. All of those people, though, other than Hannah Barbera, produce, like, dark male movies. <laughs> like, I didn't even want to, so like— weird. —go into it. I was just like, it's, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was produced by Richard Suckle and Charles Roven. Um, Richard who? <laughs> yeah. Richard Suckle <laughs> produced American <laughs> Hustle, Wonder Woman, and The Suicide Squad. And then Charles Roven <laughs> produced The Dark Knight and all the same movies as Richard. <laughs> um, it was written by, as I said, the original characters were written by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. The story was written by Craig Tightly and James Gunn. And um, Craig over here wrote the screenplay for <laughs> Percy Jackson and Cheaper by the Dozen. Thank you, Craig. And then the screenplay itself was written by James Gunn, and he has written Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, Movie 43, and Super. I don't know what those last two are, but it's really Guardians of the Galaxy. So, logline. Zoinks. Two years after a clash of egos forced Mystery Inc. to close its doors, Scooby-Doo and his clever crime-solving cohorts, Fred, Daphne, Shaggy, and Velma, are individually summoned to Spooky Island to investigate a series of paranormal incidents at the ultra-hip Spring Break hotspot. Taglines. Audrey, it has to be you. Okay, so for some reason, there's like 40 taglines for this movie. Um... (laughs) We've got, and they're all pretty predictable, but we've got zoinks. And then throughout the ages, one hero has cowered above the rest. And then the new do 2002, do as in D-O-O, of course. Mm -hmm. Be afraid, be kind of afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. Um, A hero will rise on four legs. And then the gang's all here, get a clue, and finally, the ghouls are revolting. Which one's your favorite? I think the gang's all here. I was going to say the same thing. I like that one. Or I kind of like be afraid, be kind of afraid. That one is clever as well. Yeah, I think that one's good because it like delivers the tone of the movie a little bit. 
Okay, now for this cast. First of all, we have Sarah Michelle Gellar as Daphne, definitely best known as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but she also was in Cruel Intentions and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Kind of cool that she's already kind of like spooky slash horror slash thriller associated and then in this movie on top of being like gorgeous and funny like excellent casting choice in that sense this whole movie is just a demonstration of great casting basically but then next up you have Matthew Lillard who was in SLC Punk The Descendants and Scream but also I will have you know that he loved being Shaggy so much that I'm pretty sure he voices Shaggy in the new reboot of the cartoon. So he was like, this is the role I was born to play and has like continued to do the part, which is great because obviously he is like the perfect person to play this part. So, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure as we get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Freddie Prinze Jr. as Fred. Um, he is in She's All That. And also, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. Did There's not know that. There's a huge, Are- like, cinematic universe that involves, like, the same six people in those, like, 90s movies. Um, yeah. But, like, as we'll discuss, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prinze Jr. were married and they still are. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay, well, that's good to know. Okay. Well, I need to research that specifically because now I'm curious. Okay, next up we have Linda Cardellini, the Linda Cardellini in my mind, um, best known for Freaks and Geeks, Dead to Me, Chutney in Legally Blonde, aka the one with the perm who gets exposed in the end. And she's also in Brokeback Mountain, which, bitch, I still have not seen Brokeback Mountain and I cannot believe that she's also in it. Incredibly fucked up that you haven't seen. (laughs) Moving on from my shortcomings as a media consumer to discuss Rowan Atkinson, who plays Mr. Mondavarius. This dude is just Mr. Bean to me more than anything else, but he's also in The Lion King, which the original. Mm -hmm. Who is he? The like, Bird. Oh my God. Yeah. What's that guy's name? I don't remember. The, like the toucan something? with the accent. Yeah, Zazu. There you go. Good memory. Oh. Dang. Okay. I said tattoo. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? It got it got me there. So that's good enough. And then he was also in Johnny English. So cool. And then next up and lastly for this moment, we have Isla Fisher who played Mary Jane and she is best known for Wedding Crashers, Confessions of a Shopaholic, LOL, and Definitely Maybe. And she's really pretty. Everyone in this cast not to shit on Mr. Bean, but excluding Mr. Bean <laughs> is very pretty, I would say. So budget. Um, the budget for Scooby-Doo was $84 million. And on box office opening weekend, they made $54,155,312. Wow. Um, pretty good. Pretty good. And then globally, they have made 275 million. million dollars and it was the 15th most successful film worldwide in 2002 okay so yes speaking of how people reacted to it let's get into these critical opinions so first of all this movie earned a 30 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes which 
personally seems brutal to me, (laughs) but whatever. Critic consensus is... Though Lillard, Matthew Lillard, is uncannily spot on as Shaggy, Scooby-Doo is a tired live action update filled with lame jokes. And then here's just some little critic opinions. Even its look is awfully cheesy and clunky, the special effects notwithstanding. Scooby-Doo makes Stuart Little seem like Citizen Kane in comparison. (laughs) Ooh, that is good. Okay. What really makes this movie special is Matthew Lillard's inspired performance as Shaggy. It's not only a dead-on impersonation of the cartoon character, but it also comes with a certain kind of unique joy and a genuine soul. Oh my God, that's so nice. But it is true. So for one of the best rides of this summer, grab your Scooby snacks and sit back and watch 87 minutes of some of the best fun you've had since being glued to the television Saturday mornings as a kid. Personally, I agree with that one. (laughs) And then, of course, we have Mr. Roger Ebert here, and he was not pleased with this movie. This is what he had to say. Not at all. I pray, dear readers, that you do not send me mail explaining the genius of Scooby-Doo and attacking me for being ill-prepared to write this review. I have genuinely turned myself in. Not only am I ill-prepared to review the movie, but I venture to guess that anyone who is not literally a member of a Scooby-Doo fan club would be (laughs) equally incapable. This movie exists in a closed universe and the rest of us are aliens. The internet was invented so that you can find someone else's review. View of Scooby Doo. Start surfing. <laughs> that was very fun to read. I like want to do that as a monologue for like my middle school play. Like that is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So he didn't, did he literally not even watch it? No, he did. He just, the whole review. Um, this is like his conclusion, but the whole review, he's just like, I literally do not know what I'm watching, but for some reason, the director loves boobs and I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. He thought, you know, it's trashy and stupid and below, below humans, essentially. (laughs) Below humans. It's a subhuman piece of content. Wow. He just was not, he, because, you know, if you're, if you're Roger Ebert, Honestly, yeah, this isn't for you. Like, I don't think you should. No, it's not for him. That is totally true. The audience score was 39%. And I thought that was interesting because we've only got a 9% difference between critic and audience score. And I was kind of thinking the audience score might be like way higher for this. Yes, yes. But it's really not. It's still not a good score. Um, And then I've got a few audience opinions here. The first one is Scrappy-Doo still haunts my dreams to this day because of this movie. Real. (laughs) Very real. The second one is fun for kids and awful for adults. Good thing I saw this when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And the third one is this is not the Scooby-Doo I grew up with. Real. Very, very real. Okay, gossip section. Here's just some pop cultural little tidbits from 2002. Here we go. And there's some really heavy hitters at the end of this for me personally. So thank you, Audrey, for cultivating this the way that you did. Um, I may 
shuffle the order a bit to be able to accommodate my comments. Okay. So first of all, Halle Berry became the first black actress to win an Oscar for best actress. Ben Affleck was people's sexiest man alive. I feel like I saw that episode or that issue of people. The Anna Nicole show premiered on E! Uh, The first cell phone with a built-in camera was released. Sarah Michelle married Freddie Prince Jr., what timing. Um, And then there's three really big ones to me personally and Audrey. First of all, Kelly Clarkson won the first season of American Idol, which controversially we did not watch, which is kind of weird to me because we watched like a bunch of seasons as a family after that. I think we just didn't know about it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like the, the craze became massive like after the first season. Yeah. And then... Avril Lavigne released her debut album, Let Go, which is one of my favorite albums of all time to this very day. It is like a perfect album. It's so good. And then last but not least, the uh, Rapunzel Barbie movie was released, which we had and loved, I feel. Penelope the dragon was a fave. I really like the part where Mother Gothel goes, and this is how you thank me. I've taken care of you since you were a baby, and this is how you thank me. I would love to do that movie on Sleepover Cinema at some point. That would be amazing. We should definitely do it. So when did we first watch Scooby-Doo, and what do we remember? I have a decent amount, but what do you remember? I... Don't know when I saw it the first time. I think way late, like way later than most people our age. Okay. Um, I don't have a specific memory of seeing it the first time, but I definitely wasn't little when I saw it the first time. Um, Okay. And then, so all I really remembered about it is that Linda Cardellini and Sarah Michelle Gellar are in it. (laughs) I like, I just remember that. I remember them as a duo. I remember their outfits, stuff like that. Um, And then how creepy the animation was to me. Yes, 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 yes. Very real. Okay, I my notes are kind of similar. So first of all, in terms of when I saw it the first time, I am pretty sure that the first time I saw it was at Mrs. McFarlane's house. (laughs) And... So to those of, so literally everyone who listens to this other than us, um, in the neighborhood that Audrey and I grew up in up through 2007, um, there was this old lady who lived on the same block as us. She was literally like 95 years old. um, And she had great granddaughters who lived in Florida sometimes and London sometimes that would come and stay with her for the summer. And so they were like our fun, cute seasonal friends. Um, And their names were Maddie and Blair. They're both still alive and well. In fact, (laughs) I interact with Maddie on Instagram kind of often, but I haven't seen her since I was like, probably like 11, but we, I remember watching this movie in the basement of Mrs. McFarland's house. And I remember seeing Mr. Bean and being like, that man is terrifying to look at. (laughs) Like that man makes me uncomfortable. So I remember that, but I also have some memories of like maybe watching it in Boston, which that timeline doesn't really check out because we lived in Boston in 2001, but whatever. Okay. Other things I remembered. I always felt like it was kind of inappropriate, but in a way that I couldn't really place. Like it's one of those movies with the same vibe as the live action Cat in the Hat. 
to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, Mary Jane, ha ha ha, weed joke, very clever. Do you remember when you first like really registered what weed was? Actually, I was um, asking myself that same question. I kind of feel like the first time I really registered what it was, coincidentally, as we were talking about Avril Lavigne, is that she has this song called too much to ask on the let go album and she goes it's the first time i ever felt this lonely wish someone could hurt or feel this pain it's funny when you think it's gonna work out till you chose weed over me you're so lame and i'm being like what's that and then also like the downgrade from my k through five school to my sixth through eighth grade school right before i moved was like a violent plop down into reality and I'm pretty sure that we like talked about weed all the time then. So somewhere around that time is when Mm -hmm. I figured it out. Do you remember? No, but that lyric, um, I literally, I thought she was saying like, I basically thought she said, so you chose meat over me. (laughs) (laughs) So you chose meat over me. (laughs) Like you're so lame. Yeah. yeah, And when you're a little kid also, you're like, what? It's like your brain will just come up with some other way to explain what is happening if you don't know what it is. I, I guess roughly around, it had to be for me around seventh grade because I, you yeah. would have been in ninth grade. So I think- Yes, yes. I think I would have figured it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've always been friends with stoners. Like as long as there have been stoners around, I have been friends with them. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I didn't understand it at all, but I think I knew it existed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't even understand it for a long time. Like I remember... I remember it was actually kind of like drama for a while because my best friend in high school had an older sister and she started smoking weed with a bunch of these boys that we were friends with before I ever did. And But she like thought she was really cool for doing it because like, of course, like ninth and 10th graders think they're like super cool for smoking weed if they do. Um, yeah. And I remember being like salty about it. And like, I literally have like really funny journal entries from 10th grade where I'm like talking shit about that specifically. But then I had a huge crush on a stoner guy also. So it was basically all around me, but I just waited a few years and trust and believe I would be scandalized when that happened oh you were scandalized at every turn (laughs) with everything that I ever did like like I wish that I had I mean I don't but I do wish that I had like a record of like every time that you would like pick me up from a party and I was drunk or something (laughs) like end of high school those were good they were funny moments looking yeah. back at it. But I, I think I was just so naive to yes. everything that yes. I was like scared. Like I had like genuine fear about things that really should have been normalized to me at yeah. the time. Like imagine how mu- it, it would be <laughs> so much healthier for me to just know what it, know what things are and understand it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it was very Spring Awakening vibes out here. Like, I just did not know. 
And I always wondered too, like, if you were so resistant to like, I mean, my very tame activities, like drinking, drinking and not driving and like smoking a little bit of weed and then getting a ride home. Like, um, I always wondered if you were so resistant to them because you were like trying to be, um, like obstinate or like intentionally like differentiating yourself. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think like I I didn't. um, I think that's true. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. like just had that instinct. But there was also just in general, like none of my friends, uh, none of my friends like had weed or we didn't even attempt drinking until my senior year of high school. So uh, it was just way it was just a later thing for me. So I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Well, the thing that got me to, and I hope that there's been enough time that's passed for me to be able to say this, is that, like, the whole thing with me and Audrey is that, like, Audrey is, like, five million times more subtle than I am. Like, so much more subtle than I am. Mom was actually weirdly chill about it. She was like, as long as you don't drive and you don't, like, die, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate that she was... She was just clear about that. But yeah, I don't think she ever yeah. suspect, I don't think she ever thought I was going to drink. So, right. Because right. I remember like actively refusing to have like a sip of wine. Um, yes, I remember that too. Dinner or whatever. Because I was just like, no, I'm so rule following or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, now she, now I get like, <laughs> wine gifts every Christmas. Yes. Um, it's a it's a slippery slope, kids. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay, so now that we got through all that, we will be right back to talk about Scooby-Doo. You can see this movie on HBO Max. It was very easy to access, um, looked good, was fun. Uh, and we will be back momentarily. I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, everyone, we are back and it is time to go through our thoughts and takes regarding 2002's live action adaptation of Scooby-Doo. Where should we begin? I mean, let's just start, get the obvious out of the way. And that is that, yes, Matthew Lillard was born to play Shaggy. (laughs) 
Everybody has known that. Everybody recognizes that. It's definitely like his most lovable part. And it's just true. Like that's the first thing I wrote. I actually wrote Lillard was born to be shaggy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, Daphne's like travel outfit, the purple travel outfit is God tier. It's very, very good. And I think it's even like, I don't remember if it was actually like Louis Vuitton bags, but it was to that effect. Um, Yeah. I was noticing that I feel like you were saying this movie falls into the cat in the hat category. I agree, Mm -hmm. but it also Mm -hmm. fits into um, Josie and the Pussycats and Charlie's Angels. Yep. I had the same thought too. Yeah, it's it's that particular vibe. And mm-hmm. especially with Josie, because it's also Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. And, you know, the comic book adaptation type of thing. Right. And then finally, I think they did a good job translating um, the a, a cartoonish, a cartoon look of setting into production design. But yeah, those are my those are my appreciates. Okay, I have some some appreciates that supplement what you're saying and are kind of separate things. So I also just want to give Linda Cardellini her flowers. I love her. Yeah. I kind of feel like they casted her. Okay, this might sound weird, but I don't mean it that way. I feel like they casted her with like sexy Velma in mind more than like nerdy Velma. So when they like don't play that up as much, it's a little bit like, the flavor of Velma is just a little bit like fruity, but also a little bit like what in this movie? But I love her, obviously. I think that theme park, well, first of all, when you see the theme park, when they're like coming through on the boat and like you see the whole vista of the thing, it's so good. Or like the plane, whatever it is. I loved seeing all the rides. I was like, that looks like a fun ass place. And I feel like theme park is like a genius setting for this movie in a couple different ways. First of all, because the sets can look bad, kind like bad or very like, not like cheap, but like cartoony and like tacky. And like that is perfect because it's supposed to look that way. Like that's how theme parks are. So I thought that that was a really efficient setting. But then also another reason why I thought that that was a really smart choice is because you know how like, Little okay, it's like people like us and uh children love theme parks, but like <laughs> a lot of adults when they think of theme parks, they're like, oh god, like standing in the sun, like dealing with crabby kids, like crowds, lines, weird characters, all that. And I feel like that is like a really good metaphor for what the movie itself is like. <laughs> like people like us and kids would love this movie, but yeah. in general. <laughs> Like real grown up adults are like, get me the hell out of here. But we're like here for all of it. Like the colors, how overdone it is, um, all that. It was just so fun to watch. And I thought Wait. the theme park was a really good setting. Hannah, I'm like, I, I think we might have our first episode where we don't agree. Really? Yeah. All right. I'm ready for it. I have a lot of bad too, though. Okay. Because I'm sensing an overall, yes, it's worthwhile from you. You may be right. You may be right. But you know what? You got to keep in mind, I was stoned when I watched this movie. Yeah. So I think that that augmented my experience in a good way. So notable things. When I was a kid and I watched this movie, I don't think I understood that when like 
the ride turned on and that everything started getting all wonky, that they were in a ride. Like I thought that they were just in like a weird house or something. Uh, So that was good to understand. And then my last notable thing is that this movie is the opposite of Thumbelina in the sense that (laughs) Thumbelina doesn't show you a single win for Thumbelina. She's just getting bullied and pushed around the entire time and like never succeeds. But they succeed constantly in this movie. Yeah. And I liked that about it. They have no real hardship at all. No, they don't. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, Scooby-Doo is almost given up as a sacrifice. Whatever. Okay. Take me to the bad things, Audrey. I think the time period is a little confusing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess it's 70s. I don't really know. (laughs) Or is it? No, but it's not. The reason that I wrote that is because when they're walking through the airport, everybody is current day. Yes. That feels really of that era of movie, though. Yeah, it is, but it's just a little yeah. confusing because the like mm-hmm. they it's like they're out of a time machine. Like the the mystery, yes, mystery ink yes. is out of a time machine, and everybody else is in two thousand two. The visual effects are so cartoony, um, yeah, which is okay. I mean, it's two thousand two, like it's a new technology. I get it, but they feel a little aimless to me. I don't know how to describe it. But like if they, I couldn't tell if they were going for a cartoony style or if they were going for Mm -hmm. realism and this is just the limits of the technology. (laughs) Like I wrote the same thing down and the thing that really got me was in the very beginning when his head is in the barrel. Yeah. That was really rough. Yeah. Those parts were really rough. Yeah. But again, like I'm not going to actively shit on them for that. Like it's 2002. Right, right, right. It's impressive they were able to do what they did. Um, yes. Daphne's concealer was too light for her in yes, almost I noticed the too. entire movie. Yeah. And I, I, that is one of my pet peeves. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get it. It's hard to get an exact match, but when, when it's too light in the under eye, it is just very distracting to me. Like, like yes. Also, similarly, her wig line was, like, not okay for a lot of it, especially at the end. I took a picture on my phone of one part because it was, like, so clockable that I was, like, shook. Like, it was so visible. Um, But, yeah, agreed. She was kind of done dirty. She was. Like, she looks super snatched. Like, the outfits are good. But as far as her, like, hair and makeup, it was a little questionable. Even as a child, I was not here for, like, farting or burping jokes. Like, I just never, I never had time for it. Never thought it was funny. And so seeing it as an adult is, like, an an offense. Like, I I feel, (laughs) I feel um, attacked by it. Scrappy-Doo is a blight on society. (laughs) He's up in the ranks with Giacomo. Yeah. <laughs> He's worse. He's worse than Giacomo by a and lot, actually. I've heard that, I, I don't know, because I wasn't ever a huge fan of the cartoon. I, to me, that was a boy thing. Like, I even though Daphne and Velma are in it, I yeah. never could flip the switch on Scooby-Doo. I was just like, it's a mm-hmm. cartoon. There's a dog. I don't I don't care. You know, that was yeah. 
kind of my thing. Um, but I, what I've read from audience opinions is that I guess Scrappy-Doo is like really cute or like lovable in the yeah. cartoon. And so the fact that they just made him the villain and made him the worst character ever <laughs> is upsetting. Yeah. I basically have notes about Scrappy in the problematic section. Yeah. They say, where are you a lot? Did you yeah. notice that? Which is like the tagline, but. <laughs> it's like Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? Yeah. Like, got it. I get it. Ha ha. You're saying the thing. But they say it a lot. And I was just like, okay, this is kind of, kind of a bit much. I thought that Mary Jane's possession was a little confusing. I was like, wait, she's possessed like everyone else, but then why is she still able to access her real personality? Why is she toggling back and forth between the two personalities? I thought that was a little bit weird. Um, I found Scrappy's motivations at large <laughs> to be a little confusing. I was like, okay, so you... So was all of this just a ploy to kill Scooby-Doo? And also, do you want to kill Scooby-Doo or do you want to become like a weird jacked version of Scrappy? Or like, are like are you killing Scooby-Doo to become <laughs> jacked or is becoming jacked a byproduct of wanting to kill Scooby-Doo? Like that I was wondering about. Honestly, um, good on like good on you for even paying attention enough to like process <laughs> uh, the discrepancies, the intricacies of the yes. how, the inner workings of this plot because <laughs> I truly had a hard time like trying to pay attention to this one. I don't. I, it was just rough. Yeah. No, I mean, I've had those moments. I think the fact that it was the end of a long day and I smoked some weed and then sat there and just like watched the heck out of it really allowed me to like get a deeper yeah. appreciation for it. Um, but yeah, I also thought the Scooby Snack running joke, it was actually kind of funny, but I was also like, this is a little bit much. Um, and yeah, I didn't think the farting was funny. And also I just thought, Let's go into problematic. I'm going to kick it off with one thing. I'm not really going to say that it's problematic because it was very of the time. There's a couple things that were very of the time in the problematic section, but I just felt like Daphne was really skinny. Well, yeah, it's just like wild. I was thinking about that too, like Sarah Michelle Gellar, what her life might have actively been like at the time. Um, yeah. We, you know, she's always been a pretty thin person, but we also have no mm -hmm. idea, like, the constraints or the pressure that she was under in her career. Yeah. And how um, she had to, how she thought she had to treat her body and all that. And mm -hmm. so the fact that it was even referred to in the dialogue is yeah. wild. And, like, you can totally understand how somebody of her stature in the industry would like potentially end up with like an ED or like something to that. Yeah. Effect. Yeah. Yeah. And what she's referring to for those who haven't rewatched the movie momentarily or like recently was um, when they're like all switching bodies and someone, I forget who it is, goes it's into shaggy. Daphne's body. Yeah. And is like, are you this hungry all the time? I was like, damn, that's kind of dark. Yeah. 
Because the whole, obviously yeah. the whole running joke is that Shaggy loves to eat. So like, it makes sense that he would refer to that, but it has this other yeah. added layer to it of like, yeah, this, you're like inferring that Daphne starves herself. Like, what you- yeah, like, oh shit. And she's a martial arts master. Like you can't, you're really going to have her be doing both. They made Fred have absolutely no redeeming qualities. The way that yeah. Fred treats women in general is wild. Like, it's like they wrote him, um, they wrote him as though he was like a grade A predator. Like, it was nuts. Yeah. Um, and just like a douchebag. And like, I don't, I never got that vibe from Fred in the cartoon. I would see, you know, he mm-hmm. de- he's definitely a little arrogant. Like, he knows he's hot. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. But he also has integrity, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. I feel like they just decided that he was going to be a douche for this, like for the sake of this movie and probably for the sake of the R-rated or like the PG-13 rated version. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because who's going to ogle all the women? Who's going to, who's going to provide the body shots that they definitely like wanted to take of random women? Like, it's just, it's just a James Gunn, you need to do some real inward reevaluation. I was confused. And then later it kind of made sense why he like, randomly starts talking in like hip hop slang exclusively like halfway through I was confused it kind of reminded me of like clueless but when they do it in clueless it's very self-aware like it's kind of like a joke I could not tell you why that is the way it is but certainly obviously if it's in a such a blockbuster mainstream movie there is something in the culture that is lending itself to that um but yeah. we were pretty little at the time so i couldn't spell it out exactly the most uncomfortable thing we haven't even talked about yet <laughs> but go ahead i don't know what that is what is it personally my villain origin story is when scrappy pees on daphne oh <laughs> Yeah, I actually erased that from m- memory. Like, I actually yep. <laughs> do yep. not even recall like, it. <laughs> like, for a kid's movie that's this horny. Yeah. To then have that in it and to have that guy end up being the villain and for the whole plot line to be that, like, basically Daphne is, like, come on to by guys 24-7 and then for Fred to be like, you're marking your territory. I was yeah. just like, I shudder to think what stupid bullshit happened between little kids after watching this. And yes, he's a dog, but he's not really a dog. He's an anthropomorphic dog that walks on his hind legs. And it made me want to die. Yeah. I mean, this (laughs) is just not, there's so much dialogue and just like adult elements that wouldn't even mean anything to kids that it's like, what are you trying to gain by putting, like, there's nothing to gain by putting it in there. I, I understand in retrospect, it's like this script that was meant, even if it was PG-13, like, that still wouldn't be warranted. Um, yeah. It actually wouldn't be warranted anywhere because it sucks and it's not funny. <laughs> so I just yeah. don't. Like, if that was in a rated R film, I'd be like, okay, fuck you. Like, I hate this. <laughs> 
I just, I have a weirdly low tolerance for this one. As even though I, I know there's people that love it, and I I'm not yeah. mad at anyone who does. I just can't. Yeah, I just felt like, well, there were some moments that I thought were funny. Really, my main one was at the very beginning where it's like after the two years and they like, it's like two years later and it's like all the smoke is like rising from Shaggy and uh, like from the mystery machine. And then like you think they're smoking, but then you go in there and they're like grilling something on like a George Foreman. Like it was just funny and stupid. I was in the perfect headspace to enjoy this movie. So I kind of did that on purpose because I wanted to enjoy myself when I watched it. This movie is obsessed with bodies, like women's bodies and boobs, like in an intense yep. way. Um, yeah. The fact that Velma like gets a low cut shirt is weird. And they never explain why. Yeah, they don't explain why. I think it probably was a thing that got cut. Like whenever that yeah. happened, it got cut. And that probably yeah. was the Daphne Velma kiss. And that's probably what we didn't get. Whenever that happened, I don't know what the context would be, but yeah, it's my guess. And you know that part where she like weirdly tickles her? Yeah. I was like, that felt gay and then nothing gay ever happened. So I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, that makes sense that there was a kiss that got cut. Yeah. Even the moment with Fred and Daphne at the end where like they kiss and then she's like, She's still like, I hate you, basically, but she's, like, into it. It's like, why can't Fred's entire existence is, like, (laughs) non-consensual? Like, he just... Yeah, yeah. He just sucks. Like, he's the worst character. They didn't even make him lovable. Like, they just made him suck. Um, It's true. And then, finally, why did they give Velma a man... (laughs) That shit was so tacked on. I forgot Velma about that. Is yeah. a lesbian. Okay. Velma is a lesbian. Velma's like, a lesbian. That's that's a known fact without being a known <laughs> fact. Maybe they added that on super last minute or something. Like Yeah. I mean, it is in the movie as far as like I mean, um, he's really only in like two scenes, talking though. to that guy. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just, we all know the truth, okay? So no point in yeah. trying to hide it. <laughs> yes, I agree. So yeah, is it good? No, <laughs> it's not good. However, I had a very good time watching it. Yeah, I think for fans of the franchise who have a immature sense of humor, uh, yeah, you might enjoy it. If you are in yeah. the right headspace or you have like really intense nostalgia for it, then yeah, you're gonna like, you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah. But like, I can't check any of those boxes. So no, for me. I I really want to know what the word is for movies that are like this one, Austin Powers, Cat in the Hat, The Grinch, Josie and the Pussycats, all those. I wonder if there's like a word that encompasses like the feeling of all of them or like what exactly they are. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that kind of, but it's like also so specific to like 2000 through 2003 sort of. Yeah. Like, um, and like Austin Powers is earlier than that, but like, well, they're what all is IP based. Is Austin Powers though? He's like an original guy. I don't know about that, but other than yeah, that, they're all is. IP based. 
kind of larger than life live action Y2K ish uh, yeah. aesthetically um, kind of pre 9-11 vibes for most of them and yeah. um, super bright and like uh, the, the the limits of technology at that time lended themselves to this really sort of uncanny look because things were mm-hmm. still heavily physically altered. So like a lot of the VFX relied on kind of like visual markers or things that were actually shot um, mm-hmm. with a camera in the space and then were like layered yeah. on top of instead of being completely computer generated. And so mm-hmm. it like lends itself to this just really like uncanny feeling when things are yeah. computer animated, but on top of something that was actually moving. Like for example, when Shaggy jumps into Scooby's arms, like yes. this. Um, that is like a prime example of man stands there in green screen suit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it has this like really humanoid like movement to it, but that's not what you're seeing. And, and the technology is just not taking you there. Like Polar Express, that's kind of like that. So yeah, yeah. I think it's like a combination of all those elements that, that makes for this category of movies. That's like so specific. And the raunchy, uh, the raunchy attitude yeah. also. Yeah. Even in Cat in the Hat and uh, Grinch, it's there yeah. also. And just like this complete abandon, like there was no sense of we need to be PC in, in any way. It's still very much um, mm-hmm. white men at the top at every level, white men absolutely determining the temperature and like how, what, yeah. what, what art was going to be general, generally right. speaking for the right. for mass consumption. So it just like reeks of that for the most part. I feel like this movie has been like semi reclaimed. It has at least by gays. It has. So that's cool. Uh, yes. The whole Velma, um, yeah. Velma as a, as like a lesbian awakening type of thing or like yes. that vibe. And that's valid and that is accurate, honestly, as a movie. Like you can, you can take <laughs> all these little elements and appreciate them. And I agree with that. I think there are good elements to it for yeah. sure. Um, but those are mostly like just the actors themselves or like really mm-hmm. specific craft elements. This was a very good use of time for me personally. I had a really good time watching it. And if you just want to feel stupid in the best way, I would recommend it. Yeah. I don't mean to come off like biting about it, but I'm like on one Mm -hmm. right now. I'm like feeling the spirit (laughs) of like the women in film before me. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It happens. That's real. You have the women in film and I have the gays on the internet. Yeah. And that's, that's <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, is it good? Is it worthwhile? It was worthwhile for me. It wasn't worthwhile for you. No. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, pretty much it. Do you have a sleepover cinema sweatshirt yet? I have a feeling that you don't. And you might want to change that about your current reality. And if you want to do that, you should go to twopinkpictures.com slash shop. I'll have you know, I have two, two, I have two teenage girl students who came up to me independently at uh, 
work this week and told me that they wanted to buy merch and had specific pieces in mind. So be like a cool teen and get on it. So with that being said, Audrey, any last words to round out our magnum opus on (laughs) Scooby-Doo? I mean, I wasn't expecting, I didn't really know what to expect going into this episode, honestly, but I feel like it was a Mm -hmm. good ep. So I agree. Yeah. That's nice. I, uh, Love that for us. Love a good episode. (laughs) Um, And we'll be back next week with another one. Hope you enjoyed. Let us know your thoughts. And uh, we will be back very soon. Bye. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of this show is Michael D'Aloya. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.